0: It is Locked on Jazz for the 24th of January. The value of game operations came into full fledge. A fresh Utah Jazz f- team looks good with Mike Conley at the helm. Ochai Abaji makes a few plays that have to excite. How did the Hornets become awful? And late game watch involves the Timberwolves, the Rockets, the Warriors, and the Nets. And it's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. pow. You are locked on jazz, your daily pod Why is my thing not playing? It is playing. Here it goes. You are locked on jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, I'm David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz. We are free, available on all, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Also available on YouTube, where you can join the comments section and be a part take of it all. All right. Hope you're great. Jazz win last night. Really solid. Um... Charlotte's terrible, kind of scary how kind of, like, meh they really are. There's not, without LaMelo, there's not a lot of interest to that team. Um, And the Jazz did everything you're supposed to do. You know, Charlotte had one, two in a row coming in. They beat Houston, and it beat Atlanta. And the Jazz did not show the dysfunction of Atlanta or the poor level of play of uh, Houston. And they just, you know, really did some things well. Charlotte took, made two threes the entire game. Uh, only took 16. Really, Rogier took eight, and then no one else really, like, they don't have any other shooters. We didn't turn anyone else into a shooter. We didn't overcommit in unnecessary ways. Really did a nice job with that. Um, and then played just solid offensively. Shot it pretty well. And uh, the primary guy of that who shot well is Mike Conley we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second uh, I do think it was an interesting night if you were not in the arena the, the big screen did not work last night um, which it was interesting as a play-by-play announcer going into the game I had no idea how much I used it I was suddenly like oh do I use it I use it for score and time so I just had to go somewhere else it was super not a problem uh, a little bit of just a different you look further away and come back to the game rather than just going here to here but really not a problem what was interesting to me is the arena was really dead. Now, they could have been dead because Charlotte was in town, too, um, and that there just wasn't a lot there. And the game, I, I'm not I, At one point, I thought the game wasn't very good, and then I decided I actually didn't think it was the game. I just think it was the environment. So I think there were a lot of things going on last night. We're playing an excessive amount of home games, which is great, 11 of 13. And so if you're a season ticket holder, if you buy tickets, that's just a lot of games to have at home in a row um, for for fans. And so they passed their tickets on. So I think we might've had an unusual crowd there. But then the other thing is that the crew in the jazz, uh, office, uh, which is Peyton and Mikel and all these work really, really hard on game ups. Like that's a program show that they put on 41 nights a year with a great deal of attention and detail and focus starting from the pregame show all the way through the night to make sure that there's an energy and a vibe in the arena. And, you know, what was interesting last night is there just wasn't an energy and a vibe in the arena, which, to their credit, I think shows you the work they put in on a regular basis. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of when I was, with, I was with Greg Miller once, and he was like, we should do a game with no sound, an old school. He was a huge Yankees fan. And Greg always kind of wanted us to be like the Yankees. That was, that was his big thing he talked about a lot. Um, I want us to be like the Yankees. You know, one of the iconic franchises of all time. And, you know, the Yankees don't pound sound in and da, 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 it's baseball, basketball difference. and um, So, you know, he, he would talk a lot about we should do a game without without the extra sound, without all the entertainment, with all... Eh, well, I think mean, we kind of saw that last night and might have found out that it's not that interesting. Like, that there, the kiss cam and the dance cam and the whatever cam and the silly putting contests and the this and that actually add an energy and a vibe and an entertainment to the night and you know they were pretty limited in what they could do last night I took my hat to them I think they had to really pivot um I haven't talked to anyone I think they had to really really pivot on a at a fast level to try to make an entertaining night last night um and they did I thought the best they could but I thought it was interesting due to technical difficulties we saw the other side of the world and maybe it's not as great as we all think it is or that you hear, you know, it's so loud. I agree it's so loud. And there are some arenas that are way worse than ours. Um, and are overwhelming. With We, we were somewhere recently. And it, was, it was, like, unbearable. Well, it had to be probably Minnesota. We haven't been much of anywhere recently. Um, so, it was, uh, and that's, you know. It, anyway, I just thought, um, it was just kind of an interesting moment and worth kind of, tipping the hat to the work that we, that they put in on a nightly basis to make the arena energetic and lively and fun. And I thought it was also interesting for all of us who talk about like, it's so loud. We should do something different. Eh, Maybe, maybe that's actually not the best idea we've ever had. Um, what's going on right now with Mike Conley is pretty exciting. So Mike came back from his injury and struggled really badly. Um, And the team never quite hit its stride. Mike, we've said this all year long, is the thread that holds the fabric together on this team. Uh, He just, everything's in order. We play better late in games when he's on the floor. He gets guys the balls where they're supposed to. And, you know, we started the year with Mike, and he played the first 17 games of the year without injury. And he was not, like, shooting the two very well, but he was at 39% from three. He was scoring 11 points a game. He was diming out eight assists with like an assist and a half, or a turnover and a half, like crazy. And through 16 games, he just looked great. Um, and through those 16 games, I think we had lost, I think we were 10-6, and six, right? Um, lost at Houston, unfortunately. Lost at Denver. We um, might have been 11-6. and six. He didn't play when we won. Lost at Dallas by three. Lost at Washington and Philly, and then home to New York before he gets hurt against Portland. He then goes out, comes back, and really isn't right for a while. Um, he, I talked to him about this, and we talked about we've shared this with you that he couldn't land. He didn't feel like he'd never had a knee injury before. So that was the first thing, and he didn't feel he could land. So he had to change kind of his landing spot of where of how he felt and what you know where he was going to land and, and how he was going to land. Um, and Over the next 16 games when he came back, he shot 32% from three. 37% from the field, 32% from three, 10 points a game, still seven assists, just two turnovers, still remarkable. But he wasn't quite right in that stretch, right? And so in that 16 games, we suddenly don't, we lose five, six, or we lose four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? So suddenly instead of going 10 and six, we go six and ten. And I don't want to put it all on Mike, but I do think that, you know, Mike making threes, spreading out the offense, being able to play that off-the-bounce three-point game that is kind of the essence of who he is, opens everything else up for everyone. So he takes the Orlando game off. We get this extended home run. And now over the last five games, Mike is suddenly 46% from the field and 48% from three. Four of eight last night. Averaging... 14 points a game, still 7 assists, 0.2 turnovers. This is crazy. Mike Conley has committed one turnover in the last five games. It's truly remarkable. While he's now suddenly hit on 50% of his threes. And no surprise, we're 3-2 in that stretch with a one-point loss to Philadelphia and the Brooklyn loss. So pretty exciting to see Mike click in at this level. The the one turnover in five games is truly remarkable. He's got 32, 35 assists and one turnover in his last five games. That's somebody who should probably play in the Skills Challenge. Sounds like he's been invited to the All-Star Skills Challenge and very well may take part in that, trying to figure it out, probably vacation plans, kids, all-star weekend maybe decide it's more fun to have the kids get to see it um, than vacation but tribute to Mike, I think he's really been really, really good um, I want to talk about two plays with Ochai Abaji I saw last night there, these are little things that get me excited um, and then Team 49 has a fabric to it and I'm concerned that Will Hardy has his toughest task as a first-year head coach coming up over the next two and a half weeks. So we'll touch on that um, as well. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. Murdoch Hyundai does a wonderful job. The Murdochs have been in Utah for over 80 years, bringing you customer service and being a part of the community more than customer service. Wanted to make sure you get the VIP treatment each and every time. We've got designated salespeople at all the locations to make sure you get the Locked On VIP treatment, so email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and then when we're talking Hyundais and we're talking Murdoch, we're talking the great lineup of SUVs. The Palisade is the king poob of them all. It's just awesome, totally fabulous. You can check it out. Uh, It's the biggest of the three SUVs. Super gorgeous, three rows of seats. The Santa Fe, we own two of them, and the Tucson and the Kona wrap up. The Ionic was the Motor Trend SUV of the Year uh, with its all-electric vehicle. And the Elantra was the North American Car of the Year a year ago. So Hyundai continues to amaze. Go check it all out at Murdoch Hyundai. Today's show is also brought to you by our new partner over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book out there. And an opportunity for you to make every moment more. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn with a fabulous deal for you right now. Here's what we've got for you. Place your first $5 bet and get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. All on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use every moment. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And we at Locked On are really excited to have our new sports betting partner with us. The number one sports book in all of America, FanDuel. So if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. There's so many great features to make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up, fanDuel.com. Slash Locked That's FanDuel.com slash Locked FanDuel has all your favorite bets from money lines to points reds to player props. Thanks so much for making Locked On your first listen today. We are free and available on all podcast apps and YouTube for your second listen. The 22-minute everything you need to know in the sports day from Locked On Sports Today. Uh, we have a close eye on Walker, Kessler, Lowry, Markin, and Ochai Abaji. I think those three seem to have grabbed our attention and our excitement, rightfully so. Ochai was the 14th pick of the NBA draft, picked up by Cleveland, acquired in uh, from us in, from in that trade at 6'5", 215 pounds. He has this wonderful thing about him that there's like 8 million of him in the NBA. Like that there's just a ton of guys that are like him in the NBA. So if he can figure out a skill set of what he does and figure out what he does well and and show some versatility, he's going to survive in the NBA. That's like the beauty of drafting this. He has now played in 10 games in the rotation. In those 10 games, he's averaging seven points, three rebounds, and an assist. He's shooting 60% from the field and 54% from three. The 54% from three seems a little unrealistic, um, but we'll let it keep going. Last night, what excited me the most were two assists and a left-hand drive to the basket. The 54% from three, like, can't last. It's like, I mean, it's just not possible. He started seven of eight, so that's a little misleading. You I mean, if you actually just decide, okay, the seven of eight's an outlier, and you take him back to where he, the last eight games, he's at 38%, and that seems like, that'd be great. Like, I'm perfectly good with that. Seems unfair to take the seven of eight out, but it's an idea. Um, you get the concept. So, what I'm looking for is, Hey, if he can shoot 36, 38% from three, that's great. Be great. If he could shoot 40, what you want to see is some other stuff. You want to see the ability to drive a closeout, which he did last night. And then that dunk was really scary. You want to see his ability to maybe pass off the bounce, which a lot of guys can't do. Um, and you want to see his ability, obviously on the defensive end, which actually early in the year, I was had me actually the most concerned was that there were just times where he got caught standing up. Um, And guys would kind of just go by him in a manner that was, like, he looked stuck. And that concerned me. Last night, he has two assists. And one of them was particularly nice. Um, One of them was, all right, so the first one, Taylor Horton Tucker drives, and he just makes the extra pass to Mark in the corner. Okay, it's like, it's a non-issue assist. Like, guys just make it, it's unselfish, it's not. The second one I really like. The second one is kind of, he's waiting on the outside of the perimeter. We get an offensive, Kessler gets an offensive rebound, kicks it back to him. He drives hard with the right hand into the pocket and hesitates. Reads the defender who comes to him. It's a broken play. It's off an offensive rebound. And makes a one-handed bounce pass to Kessler, who's pretty tight on him. The spacing's bad on the play. And Kessler finishes it, uh, I think, with a dunk, actually. Um, and, but Abaji makes the play out of just basketball, not structure, not a play call, not a closeout read drive, none of that. Um, instead, what you get is really just him making a play basketball instinctual instincts right there that I thought was really cool. Um, the other one was on one of his field goals last night he gets the ball on the right wing and he drives to the basket, one of his three field goals last night, his non-three really is the one that we're talking about. And he's done this on a few occasions. He drives to the basket. It's a kick out by Conley. He catches in the corner. He drives the closeout with a left-hand drive. So this is what's interesting to me, with a left-hand drive. And then as he gets, he comes back around the left side of the basket for the layup. Beating Hayward on the play. That's a nice ability to drive a close up. He's got to have that both right hand and left hand. And then if he actually has the ability to be in such control that he can make a pass every now and then, that's pretty great. So, two little plays by Ochai. We have such focus on him uh, and Kessler. Kessler last night, 13 points, 9 rebounds. Lowry, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists. Um, Mason Plumley had 18 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists for... Charlotte out of the center position. P.J. Washington was horrendous. Um, team 49. I, I th- I'm going to keep an eye on this. I think Will Hardy's up for his biggest challenge as a head coach that he's had yet. So Will's done this masterful job as a first-year head coach of having incredible, what I would call, like, team awareness. Um, instead of being self-absorbed, He's done a really nice job of reading the environment. So he's talked a lot about that when when the team took over, or when he took over the team, his biggest concern going to training camp was that all of the guys were, so that there was no pecking order. There was so much playing time available. There was so much opportunity available. He thought the guys might cannibalize each other and be just in such a fight for playing time that it ended up, being like a horrific Lord of the Flies environment. And the opposite happened. He created this Team 49 concept. They all bought in. A bunch of non-ball movers moved the ball. They've gotten better at it. They had 25 assists again last night. Everyone seemed to have two, like Beasley, Markkinen, Clarkson, Conley, Sexton, Vanderbilt, Abaji, Horton Tucker, all had at least two assists last night. Horton Tucker had six. Um, it's really wonderful to watch. Right? They've, they've tried on defense, though they're not naturally skilled, and they're, it's been wonderful. Three things that are happening right now that have me concerned. And none of them are anyone's fault, and they're all environmental, and they're all outside influences, and I think it's going to make be a really interesting for Will to hold Team 49 together. So one is there's now a pecking order. Right, we're now pretty clear. Like he'll play around, and like Taylor Horton Tucker and Nikhil Alexander Walker will do their little, their difference, and then we're gonna see what happens when Kelly Linnett comes back. And I talked to Kelly in the locker room; he hopes to play soon. Like I think you may be bumping Rudy Gay out of the rotation at that point, and suddenly we're actually sh- crazily we're short minutes. Like if everyone's healthy, we're short minutes. And we're short minutes for a bunch of guys that are now heading toward the end of seasons and thinking about possibility of contracts and situations and things like that. Like it just, minutes, minutes matter. And I think we've seen, we're, it'll be interesting to see whether or not guys start to get frustrated. The thing we haven't seen is individuals getting frustrated with their own circumstance. And with Walker Kessler now playing 23 to 30 minutes a night, like where's Kelly Olenek getting his minutes, and where are they coming from? And then who, so he's taking you know ten away from Rudy Gay and seven away from D- Jared Vanderbilt and five away from somebody else, and then all of a sudden nobody's got enough minutes. Abaji's suddenly playing twenty minutes a night, twenty five minutes a night. Where are those coming from? So I think that's the first part that we now have a pecking order. Second one is we have a trade deadline looming, and. Will's really built into this team. is like, I don't care what Vegas said. Vegas, frankly, said 24.5, and they've surpassed it. Um, Screw them. We're in this together. Let's go. If the Jazz make a trade, which might be the right move to make as a franchise, at the trade deadline, where they move one of our guys for a future asset, rather than for something to improve Team 49, that... Gets hard. It might be the right move. It might be the right thing to do, but it gets hard on Will and the building of the roster and all those kind of things. Um, And I think of the fabric of the group. Like, what happens when, you know, we don't care. We're in this together. We're going for it. We're running for a playoffs. And, oh, by the way, we just traded... Blankety blank. I know we got a future pick for Team Fifty Three. I think that's that's hard. So I think this is really you know this is part of being an NBA coach and first year NBA coach and everything. I think this is a real challenge for Will, who's done a remarkable job building this concept of Team Forty Nine, having Team Forty Nine hold together. But now there's a bunch of outside fabrics. We have a pecking order. There is a trade deadline looming. And then there's each individual's end-of-the-year contract earnings get tight. And so I think that that's, um, I think that gets, it's going to be interesting to see what it does to the fabric of Team 49. These guys have been pretty great this year. Uh, together, Will said it numerous times, there have not been guys that have been causing problems. There's not been complaining. I think we've seen minor little larger frustration recently than usual. Being home during the stretch is nice. You're not as tired, frankly. Like, I think you're not. Fatigue makes these little things worse. Trade deadline and fatigue is bad. Personal agendas, which are fine. I have no problem with personal agendas, we all have them. Uh, everyone thinks that's being selfish. They're, these are This is their careers. I have no problem. And fatigue are hard. So I think the fact we don't have fatigue is probably really good. So just we'll keep an eye on that. All right, late game watch. I got four of them I watched. We'll run through Minnesota and Houston last night. Woo, that was the only close one. Warriors and Nets from the night before. I did not get to Portland, LA debacle because Ron and I are going to watch that on the plane today. Um, and we'll look at all of those. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. By the way, game to game is back up and available for you at Locked NBA. It's your recap of the night of the NBA action. I want you to get a hold of it, enjoy it. It's a pretty big, fun way to do it. All right, let's look at the game to game last night. Let's look at the Nets Warriors from the night before. Warriors lead this game one hundred eight ninety six with like five minutes left and lose. Um, and it was interesting to watch Brooklyn do a lot of what they did to the Jazz to the Warriors. The Warriors, who pride themselves on off-ball movement and screening and all these various things, they tried it early in the quarter. It took a lot of effort because the the Nets were switching everything. They didn't get great dividends off it. In fact, they got some bad looks off it. And then they ended up just falling into Clay Thompson going one-on-one on on Seth Curry. And then they got Steph Curry going one-on-one on Seth Curry. So they were suddenly, the Warriors got caught into the hunting game and their offense went Dead. Um, this is really why switching defense is so great and why you want to build a team that's able to do it. It's what the Celtics did last year to have the number one defense in the league. It, it's also, I mean, if you can sell, you know, it's, it's, and it's super hard not to fall into this trap of just playing one-on-one. Um, the Warriors do not get a field goal for the final three thirty six in this game. They get two free throws. Uh, they, and they blow a massive lead. Um, uh, Javon Kaminga was closing this game for the most part till Kayvon Looney checked in for him. He's really an interesting player. He's doing nice things as the fourth or fifth best guy. He has no wiggle at all. He's just pure power. He was, he played well that game. He had 20 points. He played 25 minutes. Um, they have something there, but I don't know that they have a future star. Would be my comment. Like he's good. He can. He had a huge offensive foul in this game where he doesn't have. He doesn't have that kind of wiggle. Um, Warriors played a hack of Claxton in this game. Claxton went 6-15 of from the free throw line. Uh, We haven't seen Hacker in a long time. Um, The 14-2 Brooklyn run to close it. Kyrie was super. You know, when you get into that switching game, Kyrie's pretty special. Ben Simmons did not close this game. Hit 11 assists on the night, but he did not play the final seven minutes of the game when I was watching. Kyrie had 38, 7, and 9. Um, hit some threes. Went to the free throw line. Royce got the big three on a kick out from Kyrie, who's not usually great at playing with teammates. Um, Kyrie really got to the free throw line. Joe Harris got a big three in this ballgame. Brooklyn's loaded with shooters around the outside. When Kyrie's going, you had Durant. That team's real. And these two wins for them are big. Uh, The surprise of the night last night was Houston beating Minnesota. Unfortunately for Rudy Gobert, he comes back and then they lose again. Um, So Minnesota is really strange. Uh, First one is that Minnesota is strange because Chris Finch is known as like this really, really good offensive coach with all this creativity and then they don't run anything. They just bring it up and don't really do anything. Like... I mean, pass, pass, kind of, but not any. Late in the game, when they started running something, it was interesting what they did is they were trying to get Sengun into all the action. Steven Silas did put Sengun on Kyle Anderson, so then Rudy Gobert is just not a part of the offense at all. Rudy Gobert is just standing by the baseline, and they're running picks off Anderson to get switches, and it really didn't yield much of anything at all. Edwards doesn't really know how to use that. Um, and then D'Angelo Russell was really poor down the stretch last night. He had 30 points. You look at his box score, it looks great. He had some less than good passes, big turnover. Um, didn't make a lot of shots. Anthony Edwards, I think, scored about nine straight points at one point. Massive turnover at about the one-minute mark by D'Angelo. He missed a three at about the 135 mark. Missed a jumper at the 221 mark. He was not he was not good down the stretch. Um Rudy Gobert checks out like the six minute mark doesn't come back till the final three thirty-three. It's almost like they just play him because they have to down the stretch. They don't run the offense through picks with him. They don't have they don't have him figured out how to use him at all on the offensive end with Edwards. And and frankly, if you go look at the assist numbers, I think Kat still has the most passes to him. Uh Houston's just so young and Jalen they ran high pick and roll with Jalen Green and they he actually torched Gobert with a pull-up jumper. He hit a three. Uh, he made attacked once. He made a bunch of plays. Jalen Green. Um, and then Jalen Green made the most Jalen Green play ever of a young player. They were up by six with 41 seconds left for 15 on a shot clock in transition. He pulled for three. Like Those 15 seconds were way more valuable than pulling for three. Of course, he makes it, so it looks like a great play, and the game's over at 112-103, really, at that point. Had he missed that, he suddenly gives them the ball down six with 41 seconds left instead of giving them the ball down six with 26 seconds left. It's a big difference. Um, so that was not the smartest play from Houston, even in the, in the midst of a win. Uh, Minnesota closed with Edwards, Russell, McDaniels, Anderson, and Gobert. Uh, but again, Minnesota just wasn't running anything. The only thing they were doing was trying to get Shingoon switched onto the ball handler. But, but Stephen Silas did some interesting things there where he kept Rudy off the... He kept Rudy off Shingoon or Shingun off Rudy, and so then you're bringing up uh, you're bringing up Kyle Anderson as the primary screener and it just didn't have anything to it at all. There was no downhill action. There was no real attack um, at all. Uh, so Houston ends their losing streak and Minnesota just continues to be crazily schizophrenic. Losing, They've lost to Detroit twice. They've lost to Houston. Um, and This leaves us with an NBA standings that's just remarkable right now. So in the West, from the fifth, to the 13th team in the West are all between 23 and 25 losses. From the sixth to the 13th, they're all 24 or 25 losses. So Dallas has 23 losses. Clippers, Phoenix, Warriors, Thunder have 24 losses. Jazz, Timberwolves, Lakers, Portland have 25 losses. It's really nuts. There's two and a half games separating five through 13. So as we head down to the final 30, depending on what people do in the trade deadline, this is going to be a ton of fun. Big game against Portland for with playoff. Portland's lost 7 of 10. We've won 6 of 10. The only team that's hotter than we are in that group of players, of teams, is Oklahoma City who's won 7 of 10. We're in kind of the dog days. Teams are exhausted. Can you fight through it? Steal a few wins right now? Put yourself in better playoff position. Kind of crazy. All right, Jazz and the Blazers, we'll jo- I'll join you from Portland tomorrow and uh, give you an update on all things going on as we get back on the road for a day. Thanks for tuning in to Lockdown Jazz today. Have a good one.